Welcome to the number 10 podcast. We're talking about the biggest things in Major League Soccer and U.S. Soccer. I'm your host, Logan Agan. On today's episode, I'm joined by Jake and Simmo of the Total Screamers podcast. Their show covers all things Premier League. We chat about the busy festive schedule, how Americans are faring in the Premier League, and their impressions on Major League Soccer. All right, I'm now joined by Jake Corfield and Simo of the Total Screamers podcast. How are you guys doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Really good, thank you very much. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I just kind of wanted to start off and talk a little bit about you guys and your show. So how did you guys get to know each other and decide to start the Total Screamers pod? Well, we met in 2014, where we both attended our phase two training to be medics in the military. Uh, I'm, I am an army medic, still serving. Jake is a, a Navy medic, still serving. Uh, and then we started the podcast just due to lockdown <laughs> and COVID, <laughs> COVID lockdown. And it's kind of grew from there. Yeah, okay. We, we, we sort of, we'd always talked about it, hadn't we, Simo, about doing it. And and we always, you know, we've got a group chat with our friends and stuff. So to we always spoke about the football every weekend. And then we literally was like, why don't we just do a podcast, basically? We, we know enough about it. So let's just do it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So what can listeners expect on your show? <laughs> uh, well... <laughs> We're still fine. We're still finding our feet, although we're starting to get some real traction in our, our Premier League show. Um, basically, it's it's. I would say it's it's a comedy based podcast uh, first and foremost. There is analytics in football, but we try not to take it too serious. We're not we're not sat there like we're, we're you know we're Pep Guardiola or, or Marcelo Bielsa or these huge tactical minds or whatever. We're just we're just a couple of guys talking about um, talking about football uh, in terms of like the trajectory. Stoke Screamers, it's kind of grew into it. It started off just being like a, a little silly thing to do. Now it's kind of got some got some legs. We've got we're expanding the team. We've got a website. We've got a like a writer to to do articles and and stuff like that. We've just um, today announced. Obviously, we've got uh, Jed, who's been on the Premier League show, and he's he's a full time screamer now. So we're kind of expanding a little bit, and it's just it's just been a great laugh to be honest. Awesome. So I think this time of year is very weird for major league soccer fans and American soccer fans because major, especially this year, because major league soccer has been running since July nonstop. It's been games Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, and then suddenly we're, we're done in the leagues over, but there's still so much soccer happening in the world. And I think that it's a great time for Americans who are interested to get into Premier League soccer and I think that starts especially with this festive period that we're in so could you guys talk a little bit about what the festive festive period is what it's like and what fans can expect so I I think that this time obviously we spoke off air Logan about this sort of time of year about football and this is the time now that you'll see the Premier League and a lot of the other leagues as well, you'll see who are genuine contenders for, for things like the, the league title. So the championship title, uh, the Champions League places and, and who's going to be potential relegation candidates. You know, you see people, their injuries start to take their toll and, and players get tired and because, you know, now we've got games every two or three days. So it's a constant backlog of, of people getting injured, new players having to come in. And, and teams really trying to use their resources to the best of their abilities. Yeah, it's the time of season. Normally, this is when you see a team break away and mount a you know mount a title challenge. But it's also the time of time of year where you sort of seen teams crumble and fall into the sort of rele- relegation zone. And yeah, there's a, it's because of the sheer volume of football um, around this time and, and the weather and uh, and because everybody's kind of getting an eye, getting an idea of where they're going to stand at the end of the season. They have at least a little glimpse into what that's going to look like. It gets really, really competitive, and we start seeing some some crazy, crazy results like we like we did see this weekend. Yeah, I think that it is a very interesting time, just because of there's constantly games, and I think it's very exciting to see. And I know one of the big controversies coming out of the Premier League this year was the five sub rule. So at mm. when they ended what the nineteen twenty season, they decided to stop the five sub rule that 
came in place due to the, after the pandemic, unlike most leagues. And I know there was some controversy about it coming back for this festive period. So could you get a little bit about what's going on with that? Well, the the five sub rule, I was I wasn't I wasn't entirely against it. I was still camp myself in the in the um I had a camp of like I'm I'm happy to have like nine nine players on the bench and I have a, a wider list to to choose from, but I wasn't hugely keen on five substitutes. Uh, just because of the sheer advantage, it really, really gives a massive advantage to to teams that that have um deeper squads. And what we really mean by that is like you know, your Manchester City, your Liverpools, they have a significantly deeper squad. A lot of players, a lot of teams in the Premier League operate on their first 11, um, being their best players. And if, uh, you know, I mean, Man- Manchester City could, uh, if they had five subs, they could bring on £500 million worth of players against Brighton. You know, I just don't <laughs> think that's fair. I mean, I understand there's risk to injury, but for me, that's a cl- that's up to the clubs to, to manage Scott as... Um, um, squad rotation. It's it's not down to five subs for me. It's just it's not in line with the with the um, sportsmanship of the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of on the fence with this one. I I see both sides of the argument, and I I do agree with both. Um, I think that the five subs definitely helps the bigger teams a lot more than it does the younger teams. At the well, the, the lesser sides. Um, but I feel like that's an opportunity to blood a lot of your younger players as well. We saw that towards the back end of last season. There was a lot of teams making use of their academy players and bringing them through as well. So as well as, you know, minimalising the risk to, to to their main players. So I think that, that you get a bit of both um, with the argument. Um, for me, I'm, I'm on the fence. I'm, I'm not really too sure either way, but the three the three sub rules always been a thing, so it's something that I'm, you know, I'm not going to be like worried about going potentially. But I can see definitely arguments for both sides of that. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting argument that it's a lot of the bigger clubs are arguing for it. But if I recall, a lot of the bigger clubs don't make the subs needed anyways, and they're not rotating who their starters are anyways with because they don't have the subs so it's it's very interesting that they make that argument but then mm-hmm. they're not really managing minutes within the ability that they have i feel um that, that you get a lot of clubs that that have that like you say that core 11 and they don't want to deviate from that because they know if they take one or two players out that their team is so much more weaker you know um but that, that was all i had to say really <laughs> yeah it's it's very interesting that they think that and then they want more subs. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about where you guys see the table right now and where you, and who you think are like major contenders. So as we're speaking right now, Liverpool's at the top of the table. So what are you seeing out of Liverpool this year? Um, Liverpool's definitely starting to pick up um, some more consistency. They've not been anywhere near as good this season as they have last season. I think a lot of that's due to like no pre-season. We've seen a lot of crazy results at the beginning of the season just because there, there wasn't any pre-season. You know, some really high-scoring games, some some really poor defensive performances by by teams that hadn't been you know used to playing with each other or hadn't you know. Um, because preseason is really, really important in football in terms of like just ramping yourself up to then play at that that intensity. And if you can't have like an intense training camp of like eight or twelve weeks before you play a game, then you kind of need to find your intensity or find your fitness in the games. And we've seen that at the beginning of the season, which is why maybe Liverpool haven't played as well as they did last season. But they're probably favourites as it sits right now. Um, Spurs are up there not because they have the best or, or the best players or the most talented squad, but because they have. A very um, capable manager, Jose Mourinho, is, is notorious uh, within European football um, in terms of how defensively he plays and how difficult he is uh, to get to get anything out of. Really, um, Chelsea have spent about I don't know, like three or four hundred million on forward players um, over the past sort of transfer window there. So they, they've got to be considered to be up there, but they don't have a manager that's particularly experienced. Frank Lampard, he's only, although he was a, he played at the highest level as a player, he's only managed at this level for the past year or two. You know, this is his second season with Chelsea. So yeah, a season and a half is his, his experience. And to have a manager that's only had a season and a half in top flight football win, win the title, 
it's not really heard of, to be honest. Um, outside that, Manchester City's a, they're starting to ramp up their form as well. Uh, but I think for them to catch Liverpool, they would have to probably go the rest of the season unbeaten. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. And one of the names you mentioned was Jose Mourinho. And I think one thing is he's such a personality in world football. And I would just love to hear kind of your thoughts on his personality. And I know we saw Liverpool play Tottenham last week. And so there was a moment between Klopp and Mourinho that where Mourinho said like the better team lost today after the Spurs lost. And I think it's all very interesting to hear about like the managerial dynamics, because that's not necessarily at the forefront of American soccer is focusing on like, oh, here's the manager matchup for the game. So yeah, like over here, um, Jose Mourinho, when he first came to England um, for Chelsea, you know, described himself as the special one. So instantly he came in and he was this, this cocky, charismatic, good looking manager. And he was, you know, he was effectively bigger than the club at that point. Um, and he, you know, he won everything with Chelsea and he, he annoyed a lot of people on the way, <laughs> um, you know, uh, annoying fans and shushing fans and getting in managers' faces and um, generally causing a bit of a scene wherever he went. And and he grew to this massive charismatic figure. Um, and then obviously he, he, he left and he's come back uh, with Man United and, I think we saw a different side of Jose Mourinho where he was a bit more of a moaner and he, if things weren't going his way, he'd just complain. Um, and he went from sort of having this special one character, this charismatic character, to almost being a bit of a caricature of himself. And he was everything that he said he would never be. Um, but we're starting to see the old Jose come back now and, and he's, he's, he's become a bit of a wind-up merchant again in that sense. I'm a huge fan of Jose Mourinho. And have been for quite a while. Again, like he did kind of lose himself a little bit at Manchester United. I think it was because he was operating under circumstances he hadn't really operated under before in terms of not having full control over like transfers and, and things like that. Kind of, and the media didn't really seem to be on his side either. But I think, yeah, since he's joined Spurs, we've seen we've seen Mourinho of old. He's he's charismatic. He's relentless um, at his team selection. He's relentless against his players against other managers. And I think he just always has to have the last word, and he always has to be master of the mind games. Uh, in terms of like the mind games between between managers, uh, he always has to win, and he normally does. And if the, the instant you're talking about there uh, is when he turned to Klopp and said the better team lost today, <laughs> just for no reason, like just out of this, out, probably just out just to wind them up. You know, if I can't beat you on the day, I'll just beat you. Just I'll just leave you going home wound up. You know. I think uh, Klopp's too big to to have let that. Effectively, you know, after the game, he was just smiling at Jose, almost saying, yeah. "You can't. I'll beat you on the pitch, and I'll beat you off the pitch as well." It, it, it's it's an interesting matchup those two because they're both incredibly charismatic, and obviously, me and Simo are, are Liverpool fans, so we worship the ground that, that Jurgen Klopp work, walks on, and and to see him go in a war of words with Jose Mourinho is, is always entertaining, definitely. Yeah, I think that that's very. It's always very interesting about Klopp because he's. I think he's one of the coaches, at least like from an American's perspective, that you can't help but like. I mean, I'm yeah. per- personally, I'm not a Liverpool fan, but I think it's his just the way he like carries himself is something that like he's always smiling and he's very energetic. It's very interesting to see on television because it's not necessarily what you see out of coaches usually. Yeah, and you know, he's pound for pound, the best manager in the world right now as well. He really backs it up. You know, he's like, I think he can it. get away with being like, you know, slightly, you know, really laid back. Sometimes he's so laid back, he's horizontal, and then other times he's really hard on his players. And he, he can switch when it needs to be switched. He's really, really good at determining when that switch needs to happen. Um, but yeah, like he makes himself really, really likable. It appeals to the media, it appeals to opposition fans, it appeals to everybody. Really, then he backs it up by being. For me, uh, the best coach in world football right now. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So on the flip side, we, we talked a little bit about some of the teams that are vying for this Premier League title. But then you have the bottom half of the table, the teams that are struggling, that might be facing relegation. So where do you guys see this relegation battle going? Like, who do you see dropping? Who do you see at, like... M- that's going to like just make it above the line to stay in the Premier League for next year. It's um, for, like um, 
we know we spoke about before for us that in in England the premier the the relegation battle in the Premier League it's it's a massive thing it 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 becomes a very entertaining it's often more entertaining than the title race um, because it's you know it's the richest league in football so to drop out of that league you know for these clubs especially the smaller sides they're losing out on on hundreds of millions of pounds of revenue and and so it, it often becomes quite quite an entertaining battle um, you just see you know teams that potentially would have been terrible all season pull out 10 wins in a row and and then that's them flying for the rest of the season but in terms of who I think will go down I think uh, Sheffield United are surefire to go down uh, which Simo likes to speak about them regularly on our podcast um, and he uh, he loves he loves to uh, <laughs> to sort of slag them off um, but there's there's other than that it, you know it's it's quite um, sort of open in that sense there's three or four sides where you look at and potentially they could join Sheffield United and going down well, I can be a little bit harsh on United. I wouldn't say I slag them. I just, <laughs> I, point, I, I, I can only speak about the results, and the results, you know, are never really kind to Sheffield this season um, in terms of like how complacent they've been and how willing or, or unwilling to adapt to the to the new climate they're playing in. Um, so I'm quite hard on them in terms of they don't really seem to be doing anything to help themselves. Uh, if you were to ask me who's probably going to free, be the free to drop this season, I think. Uh, West Brom would be a, a choice for a lot of people, but they've just recently hired a manager, Big Sam Allardyce, who has a great record, a great record of um, keeping teams up and being able to work with a, a low budget and be able to get results with players that aren't really that particularly talented uh, through through you know like well drilled tactics. So I think they're definitely in a shout of staying up. I think Brighton, although they're playing quite. Okay, football need to sort of like pull the finger out and actually start, you know, getting points on the board before they start going into free fall. Um, Burnley are starting to play like the Burnley of old. I think they will be safe if they can continue that trajectory. The big one right now is whether Arsenal will go down. I know everybody's still <laughs> talking about it as if it's not even feasible. I don't agree with that. I think right if you're if you're playing in that form, they just do not look like they can beat anyone. Because every team in the Premier League is a good side, every single team, uh, and they don't look like, you know, they can, they're, they're going to, they, they, the only team I can see them getting anything against is Sheffield United at this minute. Yeah, a question, a question I have about that is, why do you think that is? Is it the players on the field? Is it their coach Mikel Arteta? Is it some combination of the two? What What do you think is like the issue that needs to be resolved? A lot of things, a lot of things in terms of um, they parted ways with Wenger, um, who was at the, the club for 23 years and in, in not particularly good terms. Um, since then, they've had Unai Emery, who was not a bad coach. I still, still maintain that he's not a terribly bad coach. He just maybe switched the system far too many times at Arsenal. His formation was consistently changing all the time. I'm not sure the players really knew what they were doing. I don't think they, they, were, they were definitely on the way down, they, but they weren't on the way up when they, when they sacked Unai Emery. Um, and when you are on the way down, betting on a manager that has this is this is McArthur's first appointment as a manager, as a first team coach. On his resume, he does have that he worked under Pep Guardiola, who's largely regarded by many as the best coach in the world. A lot of people still think Pep Guardiola is the best coach in the world. So I think Arsenal maybe thought that he would bring that pedigree, the, the same pedigree that that, that that Pep Guardiola is. I think that was a gamble. Particularly at the time, because Carlo Ancelotti, who is considered one of the best coaches ever, um, was a free agent. And it looked like, at the time, that Mikel Arteta was going to go manage Everton, who were also in a transition period, and that Carlo Ancelotti was going to go to Arsenal. I think Carlo Ancelotti go to Arsenal. Arsenal are safe, and they're probably starting to rebuild. Um, they're, starting to, they're starting to rebuild everything that's wrong with the club. Too many players on high salaries that, that are, are not earned. Um Loads of young talent that can't seem to, you know, they, they get they seem to get a run in the team and then they're dropped for, for, for no apparent reason. Um, I think Carlo Ancelotti would have definitely stabilised the ship um, because if you look at what he the job he's doing at Everton with half the resources at Arsenal that, that Arsenal have, um, they, they are doing some absolutely superb things at Everton. I think Arsenal have better done the wrong horse getting McAllister in. Um, I think it's time that they move on and get 
a seasoned manager that's that's had 20, 30 seasons of first of managing a team, I'm managing a first team, uh, and and getting them just to just I think the goal with this season just has to be to stay up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're really struggling, Arsenal, aren't they? You know, they won the FA Cup last season, so everyone thought it was all going to be plain sailing again for Arsenal, and obviously looking at it so far, they've been they've been terrible, they're really terrible this year. And I feel like it's a bit of both. It's a bit, of, bit a lot on the manager, and then there's an awful lot on the players as well. They're just not performing to anywhere near the standard that they can. That squad is full of seasoned internationals and players that have played in this league for a long time. So there's there's problems from the very top in the boardroom, very to the very bottom in the players in terms of Arsenal. But it's it's, it's quite entertaining to watch. <laughs> <laughs> that is. Definitely. And I kind of wanted to ask you about um, the Mesa Ozil situation. So mm. there have been reports that he's going to be moving to Major League Soccer. There are questions, there, there are questions about like where his future even is. He was left out of the, the Premier League like squad for the for the first half of the season. Like, where do you see him? Do you see them maybe looking at him for the second half of the year? Do you see them moving on from him? Where do you see the situation with him? Uh, I think it all depends on who comes in to manage Arsenal uh, or if Arteta stays. Uh, if Arteta stays, Mesut Ozil will not, will not play another game for, for, for Arsenal um, until the end of his contract, which I believe it is up is it the, the following year. Mesut Ozil makes £350,000 a week. That's $400,000 or so dollars a week. <laughs> so he is a huge, huge... Um, Outlet of cash for Arsenal, and they really, really struggle because that's that's four that's four top class first team players. And um, to, to put it in perspective, a midfielder in the Premier League, uh, Jorginho Wijnaldum, who plays for Liverpool, makes ninety two thousand pounds a week, uh, and he is, you know, he's played every, every minute of every game for the past three or four seasons. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they really they really are struggling with that. In terms of whether I think Mesut um, Ozil could go. To MLS, oh, yeah, I think I think he could. He's still we've seen um, Wayne Rooney get by in a lot of his te- technical ability because he's such a technical player. Wayne Rooney, he can that stuff doesn't really leave you. The, the ability to push, pick a pass, the ability to to organise the players around you on the pitch, that doesn't really leave you. Even if your legs go, you can still sort of do that. And I think Mesut Ozil that a lot of his game is revolved around being able to pick a pass and be able to arrive late into the box at the right time and also the ability to maybe beat a man who's in front of him. Uh, and I don't really think that would go. Um, I think he'd still be able to do a job for a, for a side in MLS, but I think he would be expecting big, big money. Yeah, that's it's always very interesting when you look at that situation and like the money situation when it comes to bringing in players. So for for example, I know that like, Miami this past season getting Blaze Matuidi and Gonzalo Higuain and just how they worked out the finances to bring both of those players on in one transfer window was very surprising so it's always interesting to consider more big players coming over to MLS and then just like the whole situation without him he hasn't played in nearly a year it's it's astounding yeah it's it's crazy um you know, a few years ago, he was he was he was unbelievable, unplayable. Now, he's unplayable for the wrong reasons. He, mm-hmm. No one, the nobody in England will touch him. But, uh, absolutely not. The contract that he's on is a ludicrous amount of money, um, and I think some of his behaviour off the pitch hasn't helped him at all either. And then play, play his behaviour on the pitch as well. You know, a lot of the time, everyone's critical of Mesut Ozil because he, he's quite happy to just walk around the pitch and and, and ha- have that license to do what he wants but I think he takes that literally if he doesn't want to run he won't run and it's mm-hmm. as simple as that um, but he wasn't backing it up in the sense of you know say a Lionel Messi who who has the license to do what he wants and if he doesn't do anything for 30 minutes but then he goes and scores a hat-trick everyone's happy because everyone forgets that part of the game whereas Ozil wasn't doing that he was playing 90 minutes and he wasn't contributing absolutely nothing to Arsenal so I agree with Simo I I can't personally see him ever playing for Arsenal again. Mm-hmm. That's that's the thing as well that a lot of the, um, the game in the Premier League is, is revolved around running at the minute because that <laughs> seems to be the favoured. I mean, 
uh, tactical styles are like fashion uh, and and football. They they go and then they come around again twenty years later. Um, <laughs> also, I'm not saying running needs to be the definitive sort of thing. I mean, Javier Rodriguez played a game. I don't know a couple of months ago they didn't make one sprint, but he still almost got man in a match. You know, <laughs> uh, so you don't need, you don't need to be able to run, but you do need to back it up in other contributions in terms of picking yeah. the right pass, um, dragging players. Um, out of position, stuff like that, you need to be able to do. Um, and if you're not running and you're not doing that stuff, then you're becoming a passenger in the game. And in the Premier League, at the, te- at the intensity it's played at, you can't afford to have passengers in the in the first eleven. Yeah. So transitioning a little bit into another club that I think for everyone has been really difficult to pinpoint this year, Manchester United. At one point, they. they had gotten destroyed by Tottenham and then c- coming in now they're in top four, I believe. Like, so what are your thoughts on the situation going on at Manchester United? I think um, the problem with Manchester United is that for the last sort of 30, 20, 30 years, they've dominated English football. So they are still expected to be at that, that level. Um, and, you know, so Alex Ferguson left and so did a lot of that squad that were with him. Um, they were all ageing or, or come to the end of their contracts and left the club. So it was always going to be a, a hard rebuild project for Man United. Um, the same way that Liverpool were in the, in the 90s. You know, they dominated English football for, for two or three decades. And then exactly the same thing happened. You know, managers left, players left and they had to rebuild. And we're seeing that at Man United now, sort of very similar to what happened at Liverpool. There's a lot of pressure on them to, to be where they were, but that's not happening because other teams have now overtaken them. And you know, like like Liverpool and, and Manchester City and, and Tottenham and, and Chelsea, teams like that have now exceeded that squad that United have got. And they're way above them. Um United have still got a good group of players, but it's it's one up. They need a few more players and, and in my opinion a better coach to to, to have that um to get back to where they were, because as as good as some of their players are, um, you know they do need other options. And and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for me isn't um, isn't the man to take them to that level. I mean, don't get me wrong; I think he's doing a pretty good job in some respects. Um, but for me, he's not the man to take them back to those peaks that they were at. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, it. it... Although Ollie was, he did play at the top level when he, when he was a player. He's not really managed at the top level outside Manchester United. I mean, all he really did was go manage Nobby for a bit and get Cardiff relegated. Uh, it's not it's not the best managerial CV uh, that you see. Certainly not one that you'd expect um, of a of a manager at Manchester United who previously had two of the biggest managers in the world. Uh, obviously, Jose Mourinho and Louis Van Gaal. Um, it was David Moyes that succeeded. Um, Alex Ferguson um, and although he did not too bad at the time it was seen as an utter failure but at the time anything but extreme success was seen as an utter failure at Manchester United I think mm. they would take maybe David Moxie's results uh, <laughs> uh, at a few points maybe this season and last season um, for them to move forward there's a lot that has to happen um, they maybe don't have some of the best personalities around the, around the squad like Paul Pogba can yeah, it's just constantly like just causing dramas that you don't you don't need. Like Paul Pogba's agent announcing that that Man United are a joke and he won't. They, mm-hmm. They've never said that in words, but he may as well have to do something so audacious <laughs> the night before a Champions League game and say, "Oh, Paul Pogba needs to leave Manchester United because he's too good for them." You know, it's, you don't need that stuff around the squad. Um, I think all he does enough to keep his job. He does enough to keep his job. And he probably will be a, a large part of how Man United transition over the next couple of years. Um, unless his form falls off a cliff, but he always seems to find a way to kind of turn it around. I mean, but if you ask me, he's very for, very fortunate to have signed Bruno Fernandes. If there's no Bruno Fernandes, Paul, Paul, uh, Ole Solskjaer isn't in a job right now. Yeah, I, I just think it's always so surprising how they just go and it's just a constant roller coaster of games for them. And I I always see on Twitter, it's just like, oh, this, this win right here, this is saving Ollie's job for another like so-and-so months. And it's, it's like so interesting because a few weeks ago, I was like, 
I don't see him making it out of January or yeah, even let alone the end of the season. And now he, he's in top four, and it's like, I, do you get you can't get rid of him? But <laughs> that's the predicament they find themselves in, though, isn't it? Because just when they look like they're on the verge of sacking him. They'll go win six games in a row, and, and like you say, get in the top four, and everyone's going, "Well, he's where we want to be." And then they start to decline again, and then they'll jump back up. And it's it's a bit of a revolving door for Man United. Um, it's it's quite an interesting one to follow um, because, like Simo said, the, the the personalities in the dressing room. There's a few of them that would, if Sir Alex Ferguson was still there, they would not be there. You know, he sold Paul Pogba originally. Um, and there was a reason he'd done that. Um, he, there's a reason he got rid of him. And we're seeing now why Sir Alex Ferguson in the first place sold Paul Pogba and got rid of him. Mm-hmm. It's all very interesting. I want to transition now to talk a little bit about some Americans in the Premier League. And I think this year we've seen a good amount of Americans in the Premier League and them starting to make their stance. So why don't we just start off with the most obvious one, Christian Pulisic at Chelsea. So what are your thoughts? He's now a season and a half into his Chelsea stint. How? What have you seen from him? Nothing but good things. I think he's t- he's taken to the Premier. It's quite hard for players that come from foreign leagues to adapt to the Premier League. Uh, but I think because he played in at the top level in the Bundesliga, uh, it took him not too long at all. Uh, mm. He's really he's really a special player. He's for for me with with the ball at his feet. Um, there's very few players that can equal. Um, the ability that Christian Pulisic has with the ball at his feet in terms of beating a man and, and moving the ball into ang- dangerous areas of the pitch by running there. <laughs> um, there's not a whole lot that can stop him when he does get going. and it, It's good in the Premier League because it either wins your penalties or you beat the man and you can get yourself into a dangerous position. I think uh, we've seen him live. Me and Jake have seen, seen um, Christian Pulisic live and he was put in a special performance. I think he was only... 18 or 19 years old at the time and we've said for a long time and Christian Pulisic was heavily linked to Liverpool for two or three years uh, yeah. and we never see that and then when I think me and Jake almost cried when we seen that he'd signed for Chelsea because uh, I, I, I even at, even with the quality at Liverpool I'd still love him I'd still love to see him in that squad uh, I think yeah I mean he's, he's, he's a the way the way he can play if he can keep himself fit for do a full season I think you know he, beca- he instantly becomes overnight, you know, a hundred and fifty million pound player, easy. Yeah, definitely. I actually saw when Christian Pulisic made his first cap for the national team. I was actually at that game, so and it, it, it's very interesting to just see like how his career has evolved since then. But like you said, one of the big things with him is can he stay fit? He, I feel yeah. like he's constantly in and out of the lineup with injury, and you can be as good as you want, but if you can't stay healthy. What, it's going to be hard for a club to want to give you a big money contracts to risk, risk putting you on the field in certain games. So where do you, how do you guys see in his like injury proneness? I think um, the, the problem is he's a, the type of player that relies so heavily on his speed. So he's, he reminds me a lot of sort of Michael Owen um, when he was that sort of age. He kept getting these injuries that started to mount up and mount up, and 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 he started to every time he'd come back, he'd lose that little yard of pace, um, and then eventually he had to rely on you know his natural finishing ability. So I think that he 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 just needs to keep himself fit, and because if he loses his pace, um, you know he doesn't have the natural finishing ability of say someone like Michael Owen. So what does he then? uses his his game because at the moment you know his game heavily relies on that pace factor and and beating the men and and, and sort of getting the crossing and stuff so that that for me is why he needs to stay fit because what does he fall back on if his pace goes do you know do you know what i'm trying to get out there yeah i think that it's definitely that once you if you only rely on speed as soon as someone faster comes along you're you don't have anything but yeah, I think it's interesting, but do you think it's that, is it just like a phase that he's going through that like, oh, you know, he's young, he's 22, like he'll g- grow into like the physicality of the league and be able to like keep like his like figure out like how to deal, deal with like keeping himself healthy or do you think it's just he's one of those players that's 
going to constantly get little tweaks here and there. Hopefully it's a lot. I think it does kind of grow into it a little bit. Um, you see these quite a lot in players that play top top flight football from a very young age. Uh, it, it, Christian Pulisic has a fair amount of miles on the clock for somebody at 22 years old. Uh, I think, yeah, he's at, he's, at, he's at the best place to be managed. Um, I mean, obviously, when, you, when you're at a top six club uh, in the Premier League, then you've, you've got world-class medical facilities. And I think the, the team at Chelsea will be aware that they need to keep um, Pulisic healthy because he's not just a player. He is a, he's a club asset. They paid a lot of money for him. They pay him a lot of money. Uh, it's in their best interest to look after Christian. Um, I think he will. I think he will grow into um, players like him. Aren't probably going to hit their peak until they're maybe 25, 26. If he continues his trajectory, he will be a top class player. And you can maybe think, you know, world eleven level. If he, in terms of his development uh, and his game, then yeah, it's all. It'll all be due. To, it'll all be due to fitness, whether he reaches those heights that he's clearly capable of doing. Yeah, I think that that's a good thing that he is like in that environment he is. And especially with the transfers that Chelsea made in the off season, it's all of a sudden, it's not as much pressure to keep him, make sure he's in the 11 every single week. Maybe he can come in as a sub because you have players like Timo Werner and Kai Havertz and Callum Hudson-Odoi and Hakeem Ziyech when he's healthy. Like you have these players that can be subs for him or he could be a sub for them, and you're not just like relying all this weight on one player. Yeah, that's the way it is, isn't it? The, the good thing, like you say, with Chelsea is they've got those options, um, so they can rotate those players through. And a lot of their strikers and midfielders that are coming through are quite young, so they do need to sort of rotate them to keep them keep them fresh and stop these little niggles happening because a lot of them have been playing football for so long that the muscles are so tight and things like that, that any sort of deviation from what they're used to is, is a problem. And, you know, Christian Pulisic coming in, he's learning a new sort of training regime and things like that. So, you know, it, like Simo says, I hope that he does grow out of it because I've watched him for quite a long time already. So I'm quite excited now to see him hopefully stay healthy and be more consistent because every time I've watched him, I've, I've been thoroughly impressed and I was devastated when he went to Chelsea. Uh, it was uh, it was very annoying for me as a Liverpool fan because I 100% I'd love him at Liverpool. Okay, moving on to another American that is in the Premier League and while he's not getting the minutes being a second string goalkeeper, but Zach Steffen joined Manchester City about in 2019, he, the summer he joined it and then he went on loan to Fortuna Dusseldorf and then he's come back to City this year and is the second string. I know you guys haven't really gotten an opportunity to see him play, but what are your impressions or thoughts around Zach Steffen? Well, it's a tough old game being a second choice keeper. It really is. Um, in terms of his age, he's 25 years old, right? That's still relatively really young for a goalkeeper. Goalkeepers don't normally hit their prime, hit their prime sort of age till they're about 28. Between, between the ages of 28... And sort of 33, a, a, a goalkeeper will play their best football, normally, generally speaking. Uh, I think he's, at, he's obviously, he's at a big, huge club. You know, he's in a good, he's got a good contract. He's in a long-term deal. Uh, in terms of, if he's getting the same training as Ederson, who is a, is a top, top class keeper, then, and that's who he's competing with. I mean, you really are only as good as your peers, you know. Uh, you have to train with the best if you want to sort of be the best. And I think, yeah, if he's, that's his competition for places. If he can get anywhere near the level Ederson, I think when he's, perhaps when his contract at City comes up or, or City decide to sell him, or maybe if Ederson, you know, gets a long-term injury and he does get, you know, because he'll be, if that happens, he will be performing on the, the biggest stage. He will be performing in a Premier League title race and most likely the Champions League with, expect, <laughs> with expectations to do extremely well. Uh, so I think he's in a good position for a 25-year-old goalkeeper. I think a lot of goalkeepers in the world would switch places with him in a heartbeat. I think he's got a lot of, um, you know, American goalkeepers in the Premier League have always particularly done well. Uh, the likes of Brad Friedel, Tim Howard, Casey Keller. You know, these are players that, when I think of American players, they're the ones that immediately spring to mind. Um, and they've genuinely been some of the most consistent goalkeepers throughout the years. So if he's anything, you know, like them, and he, he 
hopefully can have a fine, wonderful career because American goalkeepers generally have been very consistent in the Premier League. Yeah, it's the one thing with with Zach Steffen being the second string, and there's a lot of debate around American soccer with it, is does your first team um, national team goalkeeper, is do, do they need to be getting games or do they need to be playing in the best league? So there's some Americans mm. who are in Major League Soccer who are starting and they're doing extremely well. For one example is Matt Turner, who's at New England, and he had a great season and a lot of people are pushing for him to be the, the starting goalkeeper for the United States men's national team. When you have Zach Steffen, who's over at Manchester city. And while he was starting in major league soccer and he was performing at that level, now yeah. he's a second string, but he's practicing against some of the best players. Like, would you rather be taking shots at practice against um, Gustavo Bo, or would you rather be taking shots at practice against Raheem Sterling? And it's, I think that's the question that a lot of American soccer fans have about Zach Steffen. What I will say is there's a lot of factors that come into it. I think playing regular first-team football is definitely beneficial because obviously match sharpness is, is huge, um, especially for goalkeepers. Um, but I think it comes down to when, when they go into training camp, if Zach Steffen is there as well, they need to... A lot of it will be said in training. A lot of... A lot of you know, if... If he goes there and he trains at the in the US camp, um, to the ability that obviously nobody can that warranted a move to, to Manchester City, uh, and that's up to the coaches. Uh, if the coaches see it and they think that's the best option for the team, then they've got to go with it. I mean, if it's controversial, it's controversial. It's up to them to make that decision. If, for them, I think the the best thing to do is would just be on a training ground, man man to man, who is. The, the superior keeper or who is the keeper that they think is going to get them the best opportunity to win because at the end of the day it's their jobs on the line <laughs> yeah definitely so transitioning to another team that actually has two americans fulham and so in america we often have the joke we call it full america because there's often a history of americans playing at fulham and fulham's been one of those clubs in the past few years that has been going back and forth between the championship and the Premier League. So I'd love to hear any thoughts you have about Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson at Fulham. Yeah, just talking about, like you say, the Fulham link with the American players as well. It's 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 pretty well established, isn't it? Um, you know, like Sir Clint Dempsey and and people like that. Who Clint Dempsey was a, a brilliant footballer. Um, so that, I think that that was good. But in terms of them two, Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson, I think Robinson's a, he's a fine young player. He's a fine player in general. I think he's really, really good. Um, and he's got quite a, a sort of, he can be as good as he wants to be, I feel like, almost. Um, so, yeah, um, and Tim Ream, I think he's one of those that he's feels like he's been around forever <laughs> in terms of, over here, definitely someone that I've, you know, I've heard about for quite a long time. And he's generally quite a consistent player and he, he's a good, solid player. Um, and we're sort of seeing that again this year with, with his performances. I think he's a, he's, he's, he's a championship journeyman. He's played the majority of his career in the championship. He's had, I think, two seasons in the Premier League, one with Bolton, one with Fulham that we've seen a couple of years ago. Uh, both ended in relegation. <laughs> I mean, I think yeah, he's 33 <laughs> years old. He's not getting any younger. This is probably the last chance he's going to get to play in the Premier League if Fulham don't stay up. Uh, but he's had an absolutely wonderful career. He's a good, he's a good solid player. Um, he's probably not a Premier League level player, which mm. is not like if you if you do your full career in a Championship, I think you know you probably consider yourself very very lucky. Uh, and he's had the opportunity to play in the Premier League and show his stuff. Um, and he's probably probably see better things from this season than I did. Um, last time Fulham were in the Premier League. Uh, as for young um, Robinson, yeah, he's a cracking young prospect. He has all the attributes that you'd want from a fullback. He's dangerous going forward. He's quite physical. He's not going to be bullied, um, you know, by by wingers or anything like that. Uh, he's got the ability to cross, cross the ball. He can cut inside and score. Yeah, so he has all the makings of a great fullback. Again, I think he needs to be playing in the Premier League. He's a Premier League level player, clearly. I think that's obvious to anybody that's that's seen that. So Fulham go down. We have, we see this quite a lot in the Premier League when a when a when a club exits the Premier League into relegation, then the, the young prospects are immediately raided. <laughs> and I think if that's if that's the case with um, Fulham, then I 
think I'm fairly confident Anthony Robertson will be playing Premier League football the following season. Yeah, I think the two of them are at very different places. And I think it's very interesting that they're at the same club because Tim Ream has, like you said, I feel like he's been around forever. It's kind of, you kind of expect to see him when the rosters are announced for the men's national team that he's going to be on the roster and then he might be starting. He might not like, he's just, it just feels like there's always going to be Tim Ream there, but Anthony Robinson's very interesting because I know him in the national team head coach, Greg Berhalter. They, I, I don't know what's going on, but whenever it feels like whenever Anthony Robinson goes up to the national team level, he doesn't necessarily meet expectations that are left for him and the way that the left backs for the United States have worked is we just haven't had any. And so the position is like his for the taking being the top left back for the men's national team. But in the friendly against Wales that they played a few months ago, he didn't perform at the level that people wanted of him, especially from how he's been playing at Fulham. So it's just been very interesting to see how those it works in both ways with him. Played on an international stage as a youngster, you don't you, you there, there's inconsistencies and in, in youngsters playing at the international stage because of the pressures of it, because of the expectations, and because you're in a camp, it feels like you're there for a week and then you're then you're playing football at the highest level. And with unfamiliar coaches um, and an unfamiliar system, I think obviously as the more time he spends in the camp, the more the more he gets familiar with whatever system uh, the US are going to play. Then he probably slot in there. He is still a youngster. It's not as easy for these these young players to adapt to new systems, especially if he's at Fulham. And at pretty much every fullback in the in the Premier League right now is a is a winger. Essentially, they play right up at the corner flag, and they're expected to utilise their pace and, and whip crosses in. If that's not if he immediately exits, exits that and that's not the system that um that uh that the US would want to play. It's particularly against Wales because he would be up against some really, really fast um wingers. So the US coach might be thinking, right, I don't want you to, to bomb on too much and utilize that aspect of your game. Um so yeah, I think I think we'll probably see I don't think it'll be a long term thing. I don't think fans of the US national team have to be worried about that. I think he will come good. Yeah, I, I think he will too. It's just very interesting because we also have Serginho Dest, who's been playing at Barcelona as a right as a right back and a left back for them, but his primary position is right back. And then we have someone at Red with with the likes of Reggie Cannon, who's now at Boa Vista, has played every minute of the season so far for them. And he might be looking to make a move as early as next summer to Lille. So it's just going to be very interesting to see how they try to work out an overcrowded right back situation with a very thin left back situation. Um, moving on. So there's one, one more American I want to talk about in the premier league. And he actually made his debut last week and that's Owen Otisoe. He started yesterday for wolves. So I know he hasn't had much time in the premier league, but from what you've heard of him or seen of him so far, what are your thoughts? I think um, Wolves is a, a, a club to be at if you're a young player um, because their manager, um, Nuno Espirito Santos, he loves to give people a chance. Um, and if you take that chance, then he will continue to play. He's not one of these that will drop you out of the team as soon as someone else comes back. If you prove yourself, you're going to play regardless of who who's behind you in the pecking order. Um so I think he's at a club where if he makes an impression, then he's going to consistently play. And Wolves is definitely one of those clubs where, like I said, if you get, if you play well, you'll be in the team. I think he's in a great he's in a great position. He's made his um, debut at the Premier League. He's at a huge club, Wolves, uh, with a great management um, staff. Uh, Nuno is is fantastic. They do favour Portuguese players um, at Wolves. Uh, <laughs> But that's just because they, they don't work. They like they like that chemistry amongst amongst the dressing room. But yeah, I mean, to be to be nineteen years old making a debut at the Premier League, you, you're you're a good footballer, hands down. You know, if you're that age playing at that level, exactly. you're you're a good footballer. And he, he has it. He has he has it all out in front of him. Um, there's a position to be taken in that team if he wants it. Um, you know, it it just depends. Can he you know come in and 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 really step up his game and perform at a level that that Nuno's going to find acceptable. 
Yeah, I think that it's just getting that first step is very important, especially for Americans who are looking to break into top flight European leagues. Just that that's kind of where my philosophy is just like they need to get that chance to grow and develop. And I think it's just good to see that he's going into a club like Wolves that is willing to play their younger players. And they're also at a place where they're not struggling for to stay above relegation every year. They're fighting for those Europa League spots and may, maybe even some years making pushes for those Champion League spots, but they, they have something to fight for and it's not as much pressure on a younger player like him. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, we're wrapping up our interview and I kind of wanted to get both of your overall impressions of the American game. As I've spoken to you both, you both have kept an eye on American soccer, but you're not following it as closely as people within the United States have. So I would just would love to hear kind of what your overall impressions of Major League Soccer are in how you can see, how you see this league moving to the next level. So, um, like you say, you know, I've kept an eye on it ever since um, Beckham sort of moved over there. That was the one for me that put it in the limelight. Um, and you know, there's there's a lot of good players in America, as you say. We're seeing them sort of come over to Europe, and we're seeing those players now playing in Europe. So you know, the talent is 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 definitely there for the taking. Um, so, but for me, there's you know, obviously not keeping up with other American sports, the things like the draft pick and the, the expansion stuff and all that, you know, playoff stuff. For me, that's confusing, but that's purely from a someone who's never sort of watch American sports I don't understand that sort of side of it but you know if it's pretty easy to pick up once you start getting into it so but I've, I've always sort of quite enjoyed it um it's something it's a different it's something different which is what I quite enjoy the top sort of five leagues in in Europe you've got say three or four sides in that that will consistently be fighting for titles and things like that whereas you know, your you playoffs and things like that. Anyone can beat anyone. And it's always quite interesting to sort of have that dynamic. Um, so it's, it's quite a nice alternative, I find, to, to, to your regular sort of European football. Yeah, I think it's a league on the rise. I think all the statistics point to, to MLS being a league on the rise. Um, they're doing some really good things. Uh, I'm interested to see... You know, there's a couple of things I'm particularly interested in. I'm obviously interested in seeing how David Beckham's club where they are in, like, say, five years. Uh, one thing I would like to say, I, I would love to see uh, the, the MLS champions or the, the whoever wins the MLS Cup um, seeded in the Champions League, just out of, just out of sheer interest, because it is a world stage. It does put eyes on the American game. And I think probably that the, whoever's played the best in the, the MLS is probably good enough to at least uh, play the qualifiers uh, and get and get seeded. And, and I'm sure if you, if you asked any player in the MLS how would you like to play the Champions League? I'm sure they would bite your hand off. And if you asked any coach, would you like to manage in the Champions League? I'm sure they'd bite your hand off. Yeah, that's, it's very interesting because so there's something called the CONCACAF Champions League, which is the same thing as over in Europe, but it's for the top teams in the United States, Canada, Mexico, Honduras, Costa Rica, anything within like the CONCACAF Confederation. And since they rebranded it as the CONCACAF Champions League in the early 2000s. No American team or Canadian team has won. It's been primarily um, Mexic Mexican teams that have gone on to win that. And then if you win that, then you're, you get registered in the Club World Cup yeah. that takes place every year. So I think that it, while it would be very interesting to see to watch all these teams play, I think there's still a lot of work to be done on the American side to to win the CONCACAF Champions League. And the Champions League final is actually tonight. We're recording on Tuesday, December 22nd. And we actually have an American team in the final. LAFC is taking on Tigres. So they could potentially be the first team to advance to win the, this sort of Champions League and then compete in the Club World Cup. So I think that there's still a lot of work to be done on the American front before they get to a place where they can compete in a UEFA Champions League. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, like you say, it's definitely something on the rise, and it's something that I know I'll be looking out for in the future, and 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 keeping a bit of a closer eye on, definitely. Yeah, I think that one final question I have on this topic is just why should what what should American teams be doing to kind of get to that next level? Like, what's like one big thing? Do they need to be like focusing on like? working on their academies or looking to sell more players what do you think what's one thing that these teams should be doing i feel like it's a bit of a combination of both um homegrown talent is is massive in the uk if you're a young english player coming through then you're a, a, a it's you know, while the pressure's there everyone sort of roots for you as well at the same time there's a lot of young players coming through at Liverpool at the moment and you, you sort of everyone roots for them and everyone gets behind them and wants them to, to perform so I feel like while getting players to sell them is a great thing you also need to build from within so having that great core American group of players would definitely help elevate the league because at the end of the day you know they're the ones that are going to build America, American or the MLS from from within they're the ones that are going to be recognisable in you know, on the billboards and things like that. So that's, for me, what American soccer needs to do is to build that core group of American players and try and push them for the stars. Yeah, for me, I, I've got to agree. It's, it's a combination of both. One thing I would like to see is, um, obviously, there's squad registration rules in MLS, and I'm not massively familiar with them. Uh, but I think... The wage cap is maybe slightly outdated. I mean, you've got, and it's not, what is it like, $75,000 a year or something for and for the youngsters? Or, um, I know it's not a massive amount of money unless you're on one of the particular the contracts that, you, that you're allowed to to play the extra, which is why you can have players like Higuain and, and players like that come to come to the MLS. I would, although you would probably see, um, you would see it probably an influx of just. Clubs going, oh, we could spend what we want, oh, and then you just have all these players migrate into the league. If you had a registration rule that you still had to play a certain amount of homegrown players, it would probably, you know, help. But I get against that. Um, but if you could attract, if you know, a player that plays in a championship in England can make fifty thousand pounds a week if he's if he's one of the top players, you know, um, and. Plus players in League One, League Two, and and the UK that that are, that are making you know thousands of pounds a week and things like that. So increasing, I mean, you've got to, if you, if you want to see the top 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 players in the world play in your domestic league, you need to be able to play. You need to be able to pay them the money. And if you want to see the top 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 football, it needs to be something attractive. And you know, money money talks. <laughs> There's a reason why you see you know, La Liga, Bundesliga, um, you know, uh, Premier League. You know, they pay they pay their players very very well everybody's paid very well from the the, the fifth choice center back and um, to the fourth choice keeper everyone is paid very very well and it does kind of it's kind of sickening when you look behind the curtain at it but you know if you keep that curtain slow and you just purely look at the football um, it's quite entertaining to watch these top players go against each other and um, week in week out yeah i think that that's something that Amer american soccer needs to focus on like like i mentioned on your guys's show there's Amer American soccer is trying to be Amer an American sport and then also focus in this world market. And I think yeah. that the value of parity in soccer is something that you see a lot of in major league soccer because of the caps and clubs that have all these owners that are willing to throw, throw cash to sign players aren't able to sign every single player that they want because of the cap. And then you have other owners who are just fine, you know, skate like skating by paying, like paying the minimums for their, to get like a player's like, so they don't get like played off the pitch every week. So I think that, that that's something that's very interesting and in how the cap helps the league, but also hurts it at the same time. Um, I really want to thank you guys um, for coming on my show. I'd love for you guys to let my listeners know where they can follow you where they can listen to your show, anything that you want to plug. Thanks very much for having us on. Uh, it's been been really, really great. Uh, you can find us at www.totalscreamers.com, um, at Totalscreamers on Twitter. Uh, we're on pretty much every podcast and streaming service, so if you type in Totalscreamers, you get us there. 
Yeah, thanks again, Logan. It's been great to come on. Um, and thank you for coming on our show. Um, but yeah, it's been great. Um, and I think we'd definitely love to, to do it again in the future for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think that that as the American game becomes more globalized and as more Americans move over to Europe, it becomes more important for American fans to understand what's going on in other leagues. So mm. I want to thank you both again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Jake and Simmo for joining me on the show. Make sure you check out their show, Total Screamers, for all things Premier League. And thank you for listening to the Number 10 Podcast. Make sure you like, rate, review, and share with your friends. Till next time.